Amen. You may be seated. No longer a slave to fear. I'm a child of God. What a beautiful, beautiful message to be able to sing and to celebrate this morning. Well, today and next week, we have two hard and complex and difficult topics to discuss, issues related to biological sex and gender. And these are hard topics, and they affect us in different ways. For some here today, uh, you may experience these issues because of your own lived experience in life. And choices you've made or struggles you're having or uh, stuff that is true about you uh, because of birth, things you've gone through. Others here may be affected by this issue or these topics because of loved ones, choices they're making, things they're going through, struggles they're having. Some may be affected because of what you see going on in the culture around us and you feel like these are important issues for Christians to speak truth and to take a stand. Some may be affected by issues related to sex and gender because, to be honest, you don't really want to think about them at all. You prefer that they just go away and that life could go on without having to deal with these kinds of things. But whatever situation you or I might be in this morning, our need is the same. And that is for God to guide us with his word into a place of truth and grace and love. That we might not wander around in the darkness of our own thinking, but we might be guided by Jesus, our good shepherd, who loves to lead us into green pastures and besides still waters. So I'd like to pray for us. And I'd like to pray that God himself would help us think through these topics and that God himself would guide us. Would you bow your heads as I lead us in prayer? Jesus, you are the good shepherd. We praise you for that. Though we were like sheep going astray, you have called us to be part of your flock and you have summoned us to yourself. You are not like the hired hand who runs away at the first sign of trouble. Instead, Jesus, you loved us so much that you laid down your life for us. And you did that so that we might have life, abundant life, here in this world, an eternal life. God, the life that you want for us is not a life that's filled with darkness and confusion and pain and turmoil. Those things are part of this world, but you've promised us, Lord, life in the midst of struggle, life in the midst of difficulty. And so now, God, of my own volition, I probably would not have chosen these topics for this week in September. But you, Lord, are Lord of this church, and this is your word, and we are your people. And the sheep do not say to the shepherd, we want to go there, we want to see this, we want to experience that. The sheep simply trust that you're going to lead, you're going to guide, you're going to protect, you're going to help, you're going to nurture, you're going to care. So today, Lord, would you do what only you can do? Fill this room with your presence. And Jesus, you are the one so full of grace and truth that the only possible explanation for who you are is the creator God sent to reveal the Father to us. And so in this area, with regards to biological sex and gender, would you please, Jesus, reveal God to us? 
For we pray this in your name. Amen. Well, a couple of definitions before we start, just so that we're all on the same page. Language can be tricky and can be difficult to figure out what to do uh, when people are using words differently. And so I just want to explain how I'm going to be using two words over the next uh, two weeks. The first is the word sex. By sex, I don't mean sexual intimacy between two people. What I mean is your biological sex. This relates to your physical body. The things about your physical body that make you either male or female. And so when we talk about biological sex, we're talking about biology. We're talking about physical things that are true of our human bodies. We also are going to be using the word gender. Some people use the words biological sex and gender interchangeably. That's perfectly fine. Many people do not. Gender is used for something different than biological sex, and I too am going to be using the word gender for something different than your biological sex. What we mean when we use the word gender is that sense of self that is culturally, psychologically, socially, and spiritually created. Meaning, your sense of being male or female, or however you interact with the concept of gender as we talk through these things. It is not related to your physical body, meaning gender is not describing physical characteristics. Gender is more subjective, it's uh, tougher, it's less tangible. It has to do with your sense of self. What does it mean for you to feel like a man or to feel like a woman? How does that play itself out in cultural, spiritual, psychological, social sorts of ways? In our passage we're going to look at today, God forms Adam and Eve from the ground. That has to do with biology. It has to do with physicality. God also says to Adam, you will be a husband, and to Eve, you will be a wife. Those have to do with gender, how roles are played out. This week, we're going to be focusing on biological sex, and next week, we will be talking about gender. They're, of course, related issues, but we're going to take them first this week, biological sex, and then next week, we're going to talk about gender. Everybody with me? Let me invite you, you didn't come to hear my opinions about things, this topic is way too difficult for me to tell you what I think. What you came is to hear what does the Lord have to say. So let me invite you to take a Bible and turn to the book of Genesis chapter two. Genesis chapter two, if you're using one of the church Bibles, it's page two. The very first book of the Bible, the very second chapter of the book. In Genesis 1, we have the creation of all things, including human beings. And God tells us in Genesis 1 that he created humans, male and female. In Genesis 2, we get to take a little deeper dive or a closer look at the creation of human beings. We begin in verse 4. This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created, 
when the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Now no shrub had yet appeared on the earth and no plant had yet sprung up. For the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth and there was no one to work the ground. Plants were created in day three, but there's no cultivated plants until we get to this point. Then the Lord, oh sorry, but streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. And then here's our verse. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living being. God forms Adam from the dust of the ground. When he does so, he is creating his physical body. He is giving him his biological sex. Adam is created with an X and a Y chromosome. Adam is created with a penis and with testicles. Adam is created with musculature that would, you would recognize as being typically male musculature. I don't know if Adam had a beard, but he certainly could have grown one because he would have been created in such a way uh, that he could grow facial hair. God created Adam biologically as a male. If we took a biologist or a doctor or a medical person back in time with us to the time of Adam's creation and they were to examine Adam, they would see that Adam is biologically male. He looks like what we would say is typically typical of a biological male. Adam is a man. His biological sex is male. God also creates a female. Verse 21, but for Adam no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep and while he was sleeping he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man and he brought her to the man. The man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman for she was taken out of man. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. So God also forms woman. He doesn't sort of leave this up to creation. He actively engages in forming Eve, forming a female. And when God creates Eve, he gives her an X and an X chromosome. She has fallopian tubes, she has a uterus, she has mammary glands. If you were to see Eve, her hip to waist ratio would be lower most likely than Adam's, typically female. Her face most likely had softer features than Adam's did. If we brought a biologist or a medical person back and they were to examine Eve, they would declare that she is biologically female, that her biological sex is female. And so here we have at the creation, a biological man, biological woman, and that God has created humans, male and female. Two biological sexes, male and female. This makes humans dimorphic. It means that there are only two choices for biological sex, either male or female. We are dimorphic creatures. Now it may feel like I've just said something super controversial. 
I haven't yet. Everybody agrees, Christian and non-Christian, that humans are dimorphic. Everybody agrees that there are only two choices, male or female. Now, some of the debate is, with regards to gender, are there more options than feeling masculine or feminine? But when it comes to biological sex, there's not debate. There's not a third option. What we mean by that is, is that nobody thinks there is a third set of reproductive organs besides those are, uh, that are typically male or those that are typically female. And nobody thinks that there are humans walking around today who have something other than an X or a Y in that 23rd slot. We don't think any humans have a Z or an A or an M or something else. You can have an extra X, you might have an extra Y, but there's not a third option. And so everybody is in agreement that humans are dimorphic beings, that when it comes to the category of biological sex, there are only two choices, male or female. With this sort of definitions and things uh, sort of uh, out of the way, there are four questions, though, that I would like to ask and try to answer from the scriptures today with the issue of biological sex. Number one, is biological sex more complex than Genesis 2 makes it out to be? Number two, should someone change their biological sex? Number three, what does God say to those who are struggling with the complexities of biological sex? And number four, how should Christians respond to people who face these struggles? So let's dive in. We have Genesis 2, which tells us that we were created male and female, that we are dimorphic beings. But there are still these questions that we need to answer today. Number one, is biological sex more complex than the Genesis 2 description? The answer is absolutely yes. Let me invite you to turn in your Bible to the book of Matthew chapter 19. Matthew chapter 19. We're going to turn to a lot of passages and that's because I would like for you, if you're willing, uh, to read it for yourself as we go through these passages. Matthew 19, it's page 800 in the church Bibles. And we're answering the question, Genesis 2 makes it sound pretty cut and dry. Biologically male, biologically female. And we're answering the question, is it not more complex than this? <clears throat> and the answer is yes, and I think Matthew 19, God reveals to us that the answer is yes. In Matthew 19, Jesus is being asked about the thorny cultural issue of divorce, which allows him to talk about marriage, which also allows him to talk about biological sex and some categories beyond simply marriage and divorce. Let's look at what happens. Matthew 19, verse 3, some Pharisees came to Jesus to test him. They asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? What a mean question. <laughs> Jesus doesn't like this question either. Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning, the creator made the male and female. That's a reference to Genesis 1. 
and said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. That's a reference to Genesis 2, the passage we just read. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. There's some more discussion about marriage and divorce. And then in verse 11, Jesus broadens the topic of what he's talking about and says some things that are incredibly relevant for our questions that we have today. Jesus replied, verse 11, not everyone can accept this word, but only those to whom it has been given. For there are eunuchs who were born that way, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by others, and there are those who choose to live like eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. The one who can accept this should accept it. Jesus introduces a word here, uses a word eunuch that we don't use today and probably shouldn't because it would create lots of issues and difficulty. But when Jesus is using the word eunuch, He is referring to the fact that there are people whose lived experience of how biological sex works itself out is more complex than what's going on in Genesis 2. That Jesus is acknowledging, look, there are people in this world for whom he created them male and he created them female doesn't yet begin to address the complexities of what it means to live in a world with billions of people even though we as humans are dimorphic there are complexities in how biological sex plays itself out Jesus says some people are born this way for example Some men are born with an extra X chromosome, sometimes known as Klinefelter's syndrome. When this happens, this can result in infertility. It can result in a man having breasts that are much more like a female's, uh, might have uh, less body hair. Some things in which their expression or their experience of how dimorphic biological sex works itself out is more complex. Likewise, there are some women who may be born without a uterus, for example, or some women who are able to grow facial hair in a similar way that someone who is typically male is able to do. These are examples of what Jesus is talking about. Some people are born into complexity within this created order of male and female. It doesn't work itself out quite as neatly as it might appear in Genesis 2. Likewise, Jesus says... Some are made eunuchs by others. Meaning some people's experience in this life is such that because of actions others have done, they are now uh, in the midst of the complexities of how this works. This would include a male who is castrated against his will. This would include a female who experiences unwanted female genitalia mutilation. They have now, not because of choices of their own, they are now experiencing the sufferings and the difficulties and the complexity of living in a world that is dimorphic, but their own experience of how this works itself out is much more complex and much more difficult. Jesus also said they are made this way by others. I think this also includes those who choose to alter their biology in some way. Those who might go through sex reassignment surgery, those who take puberty blockers, 
They're experiencing the complexities and the difficulties of living in the world in which we live. Jesus says some are born this way. Some are made this way by others, either because of their own choice or by the choice of others. And then he says there's a third group, and these are those who choose to live like eunuchs. Now, this is not technically related to biological sex. It's actually more of a gender issue because it doesn't have to do with anything that's changed about your physical body, but it has to do with a way of living, a choice that people made. This is broad enough to include those who choose singleness or those who are widows who choose not to get remarried because they want to serve in the kingdom of God. But here, Jesus is affirming that some people are born into the complexity. Some people end up there by choice, their choice or the choice of others. And then some people choose to live in the midst of it uh, because of the kingdom of God. Now the thing I think is amazing is Jesus is the one who formed Adam from the dust of the ground. Jesus is the one kneeling in the ground creating Adam's biologically male body. Jesus is the one who takes the rib from Adam and fashions the biologically female body that Eve has. And in the kindness of God, the creator God becomes one of us to walk upon this earth and to tell us things are more complex than they were or appeared in Genesis 2. And so God is very kind to show us there are complexities in this world. And the thing I love about Jesus doing this is implicit in all of what he's saying. Is he is reminding us that every single human being, those who are typically biologically male and those who are typically biologically female and those who are struggling in the complexities of how this plays itself out, whether by birth, by their choice, or by the choice of someone else, are all still created in the image of God. There is nothing you can do to your biological sex or nothing that could be done to you or no way that you could be born in this world in which you would stop being made in the image of God. And here there is a dignity that Jesus is conferring upon all people those who have no struggles with how biological sex works itself out, and those who are caught in the midst of the complexity, whether by birth or by choice. The other thing I find to be powerful about this passage is that when Jesus says, those who can accept it should accept it, implicit in that language is the idea that for many the complexities of how biological sex works itself out is a burden. It's hard to carry. It's difficult to live in a world that is dimorphic while you yourself are experiencing the complexities of how this works itself out. And Jesus himself acknowledges it's a heavy burden. I find that comforting. So is biological sex more complex than Genesis 2? Absolutely. It's not more complex than God understands, and so he simply shows up and explains it to us. But if you just read Genesis 2, you might not understand the fullness of the complexity of what's going on in the world today. Question number two. 
Should someone change their biological sex? The answer to this question, I think, is relatively straightforward, but can be hard to hear. And the answer is no, not from a Christian point of view. In this passage, the only choice that Jesus is affirming is not the choice to change your biological sex. The only choice he is affirming is the choice to live in a certain sort of way that sets you apart for the kingdom of God. That God created Adam, God created Eve, and that God creates every single human being. There is no life apart from God. And that when God forms and fashions you in your mother's womb, he assigns to you or gives to you a biological sex, either male or female. He may also allow you to live in the complexity of how this works itself out, but it is still God who is making the choices. And when he gives to us a biological sex, he's expressing to us his design and his will for us. To reject that design, to reject that will, is to refuse to submit to God. That's what the Bible calls sin. It's not a worse sin than any other sin. All of us, in all sorts of ways, don't want God's plan for our lives, don't want what God wants for us, and we struggle to submit to what it is that he wants or what he has expressed for us. This sin is no worse than any of those. It's also a sin that God loves to forgive and delights to show mercy to, that God longs for people to know that any time we refuse to submit to what God wants for us. We are introducing pain and difficulty, separation from God, and wandering in wilderness that God does not want for us. This is also, like many other sins, not a sin that the wider culture is going to accept or acknowledge as being a sin. That doesn't change the fact uh, that God is asking us when it comes to biological sex to submit to how we were created even in the midst of the complexities and difficulties of working that out. Number three, <clears throat> what does God say to those who are struggling with the complexities of biological sex? What is God's message to those who are in the midst of in this dimorphic world trying to figure out how do I live out this experience that isn't uh, maybe as neat or as clean as Genesis 2 might make it seem. I'd like you to turn to Isaiah 56 so that we can talk about this together. Isaiah 56, it's page 602 in the church Bibles. Jesus has acknowledged that it can be a struggle to live in the complexity of how biological sex works itself out in our world today. What is his message to those who are experiencing those struggles? Whether because they were born that way or because they made their own choices or because others made choices for them. Verse three of Isaiah 56. Let no foreigner who is bound to the Lord say, 
the Lord will surely exclude me from his people. And let no eunuch complain, I am only a dry tree. For this is what the Lord says. To the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose what pleases me and hold fast to my covenant, to them I will give within my temple and its walls a memorial and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that will endure forever. And the foreigners who bind themselves to the Lord to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord and to be his servants, all who keep the Sabbath without desecrating it and who hold fast to my covenant, these I will bring to my holy mountain and give them joy in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, for my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations." God's offer to those who are struggling with the complexities of biological sex in this world is life. Life that is full of joy. Life that is full of fulfillment. Life that is satisfying. Yes, it's possible in the midst of the complexities of how biological sex works itself out that you may not be able to have biological children. God says to you, I will give you a name and a memorial better than biological children. I will grant to you joy and peace in the midst of the suffering and the difficulty. And this is God's message to those who are born into the complexity, those who are end up in that complexity by force, and those who end up into the complexity by their own choice. Perhaps especially for that last category. That what God offers is grace and forgiveness and love and says, if you will submit, if you will come to me, if you will acknowledge that I am God and that, yes, you are in a difficult situation, but I love you. I want to forgive you. I want to bless you. And no matter what's been done to you, no matter what you've done to yourself, no matter how you were born, God says, I want to offer you life. I want to offer you joy. Peace. I want to give you an eternity. I want to make you a part of my family. And no matter what anybody else says, God says through Jesus, I will build my church and my church will be a house of prayer for all people, all human beings created in the image of God, willing to accept God as creator, willing to submit to who he is, it's an invitation. Come, experience life. I'm not in any way, nor is Jesus, downplaying the struggle. It's a burden. It's a difficulty. If you're experiencing that today because of the choices of others, perhaps because of your own choices, or simply the way you were born, please hear the invitation of God. It's not an invitation to condemn. It's not an invitation to reject. It's an invitation to come and experience life. To let God walk with you in the struggle. To let God forgive you. To let God bless you. To let God pour out his love on you. And to let God invite you to be part of his family forever and ever and ever to let God give you a name and a life and a memorial 
better than sons and daughters. Fourth question. How should Christians respond to people who are struggling with the complexities of biological sex in this world? One last passage. Please turn to Acts chapter 8. Acts 8, page 890. Now I know we're looking at lots of passages, but that's because I want you to understand God has lots to say about these kinds of things. We're not sort of trying to figure out what to do in the middle of a complex and changing world. The Lord is like, my word is flawless and pure. It is a light in the darkness, a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Acts 8, verse 26 Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Candake, which means queen of the Ethiopians, which means he works for the queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah, the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you are reading, Philip asked? How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. This is the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter and as a lamb before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, Tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, look, here is water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. This Ethiopian eunuch, we don't know if he's a eunuch, meaning he's experiencing the complexities of biological sex in this life. We don't know if he's a eunuch by choice. Perhaps he chose to do this to himself because it would, it would offer advancement uh, in the position that he's in. We don't know if someone else did this to him by force. We don't know if he was born this way. And we don't know because Philip never asks. And God never tells us. And the reason Philip never asks and God never tells us is because it has no bearing on the case whatsoever. It doesn't matter. Here is a man who's experiencing the complexities of life in this world. And he needs to know that he is loved and cared for by Jesus. And what's the passage that God sovereignly, by providence, has this man in? 
Isaiah 52 and 53, which is talking about Jesus's experience living in this world in many ways as a eunuch. Jesus talked about this category of people who choose to live in the complexities of how biological sex works itself out for the sake of the kingdom of God. God the Father does not allow Jesus to have sex. He does not allow him to get married and he does not allow him to have biological children. That's why it says, who can speak of his descendants? He doesn't have any kids. He's experienced the hardship that it's not just the way Genesis 2 presents it, that in the complexity of life, Jesus incarnates himself into the middle of the struggle and into the middle of the suffering. Why? So he can save this man. What an amazing passage to be reading that in the midst of his own pain and his own struggle and his own perhaps lack of uh, uh, maybe his regrets, maybe the fact that he can't have children, maybe the fact that he's struggling in the midst of a world in which he doesn't look male the way other people typically express their maleness. Here in the midst of this, he's reading a passage about a God who loves him so much that he became one of us and chose this man's experience so that this man could come to faith because you got to believe that in Isaiah 53 they just keep reading until you get to Isaiah 56 and this man hears the invitation come come be part of my family and so he says to Philip well what would stop me from joining this family? What would stop me from experiencing, how did the eunuch leave? Rejoicing. What would stop me from experiencing this joy? Do you mean, Philip, that that Isaiah 56 thing is for me? Absolutely. How do Christians interact with those who are facing the struggles of living with the complexities of biological sex in this world? When Jesus was asked a culturally difficult question about divorce and remarriage, he went to scripture. When Philip is asked to engage in a culturally difficult situation, he goes to scripture. Because in God's word, what is being revealed is God's character and who God is. And as you look at what's going on in God's word, what we come to understand is that our role is like the role of Jesus. Jesus did not come into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world. That Jesus came full of grace and truth. And that our response is to love. Our response is not to figure out how'd you get in this state. Our response is not to figure out, well, were you born this way? Because that would be okay. But if there's choices that others made, well, I guess that would be okay too. But if there's choices you made, that's between them and the Lord. Our job is to love. And by loving, we don't turn people into pawns in a cultural battle. By loving, we don't avoid hard issues. By loving, we don't pretend that anything the world tells them is okay and that everything's all right. By loving, we present the truth. And the truth is, 
all of us are in some ways broken with regard to our bodies. It might be struggles with lust. It might be struggles with health. It might be struggles with the inability to get our bodies with regards to food. It may be struggling with how biological sex works itself out in this life. But all of us are broken. And the good news is, is God loves broken people. And that if we're willing to accept that Jesus came and was broken among us, that we might have life, that we can be forgiven for all the ways in which we've allowed our broken bodies to separate us from the God who loves us, all the ways in which we've given in to our own desires and what our flesh wants for us, that Jesus loves us and that he offers to us life, blessing, joy, and peace. So how do we respond? We respond the way Jesus did with grace and with truth and with love. Let's pray together. Thank you so much for joining us for this podcast from Calvary Church. We hope this message has brought the light and hope of God's presence into your life, refreshing your soul for the journey the Lord has you on. If you have a spiritual need or would like to connect further with the work God is doing through Calvary Church, seek us out online at calvarygr.org. On our website, you can also find an archive of previous messages from this series. Thanks for listening.